Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome everybody. Uh, I've got my guest today, Don Britton. He's the founder and CEO of Networks Alliance, also a neighbor of mine and a great friend. So uh, welcome to the show, Don. Thanks, I appreciate you having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. It's been a few minutes since we've seen each other last. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, I just I love to jump right in, and you know you've been an entrepreneur now for a handful of decades, a handful of economic cycles. Recently had a successful exit with your business, and I'd love to hear from you about misconceptions uh, that entrepreneurs have about exits. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, I mean one of the biggest ones I had, um, and uh, was that they're always successful, or that a lot of them are <laughs> successful, and not to be a negative Nelly, but um, as I was starting to do research on my exit and uh, kind of looking into things, one of the things I kind of uncovered, there was like one stat in particular that stood out to me is that only 30% of businesses that put themselves up for sale um, actually sell to begin with. And it doesn't necessarily even mean that it would be um, whatever you might consider a successful exit where the entrepreneur comes out ahead of the game. Um, so, I mean, and there's a lot of reasons behind that as I started kind of researching it um, more. Um, but the the thing that was surprising is, you know, that, you know, not every exit is a positive one. Interesting. And, and so when you say positive, go into a little bit. So, you know, I, I exited my business years ago and it was more of me leaving the business versus creating a financial return or, going into something different. And so maybe we should talk a little bit deeper about what defining an exit, right? Because to your point, success could be defined in many different ways. Yep. Um, what were you considering when you were going down that path or even in middle of your transaction or talk to us a little bit further about that? Yeah. I mean, for me, what I was defining as success was, you know, coming out with more than I went in, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, you know, more times than not, most entrepreneurs um, can leave bankrupt and or with, you know, really nothing. It might be. And, and I mean, at that in that regard, too, like sometimes what I've seen with a lot of some of my friends is success was just getting out of the venture without going bankrupt, you know, mm -hmm. um, and or not having a ton of debt afterwards and stuff. And and don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm not trying to be so negative on entrepreneurship that like I'm saying nobody should do it. I, I think everybody should pick up entrepreneurship. I just think there's some key things that you need to be aware of and or think about as you build a business um, so that you don't get left, you know, behind um, or holding the bag, basically. that that That's kind of more my point. I, I, I mean, when you look at businesses in the United States, at least, you know, 96% of them are less than a million dollars in revenue and less than 10 employees, right? So um, a lot of them are more like sole proprietors or where the owner operator is, you know, the key of the business, right? And, and you know, there's, there's certain things that that person needs to do in order to make sure that they, you know, leave better than they came in kind of thing. Sure, sure, sure. Let's dive into what what types of things you know. 
when you started your business, I suspect you weren't thinking exit strategy. And over the years, as you developed your business and it grew, you started contemplating an exit. And you've just mentioned, you know, what are the, there's a few things that entrepreneurs should be thinking about or doing sort of while on their entrepreneurial journey, depending on what their exit strategy is. So talk to us a little bit further about what are the, what are the things that you were doing as you started to prepare and, and having, you know, a mindset for an exit? Yeah. I mean, hindsight, you know, being 2020, you know, I luckily did a lot of things that ended up, you know, voting well for me in the long run, but the, I, I, I never did actually think about exiting. I was always like this company network Alliance was my baby. Right. I was never going to exit is the way I looked at it. Right. But, but what I did always focus on, and I think every entrepreneur needs to focus on is building a business that has value. Right. Um, while I was not focused on exiting the business, I was focused on building a business that at, you know, had value and added value to our client base. And there's a lot of, there's, I mean, there's a whole slew of things that, you know, that that means you need to do in order to add value. And one of the biggest things I see as a, as a, as an issue for a lot of small business owners um, in particular is the business is all key to them. Meaning if they weren't in the business, then the business can't exist. Right. And so if they want to get out of the business or exit the business in any kind of way, then they have to build the business in a way that is not reliant or dependent upon them. And then that, that comes down to systems that you build and the team that you build and, you know, a whole slew of other things to try and make sure that the business does not revolve around you. Um, and, you know, and there's a lot of reasons why entrepreneurs might not necessarily go down that path. I mean, some, sometimes it's ego. They like having everything revolve around them because it gives you a sense of, you know, power or pride or, you know, ego basically. Um, but then there's others that just don't realize they're, that they're not, you know, developing their business in a way that's not dependent upon them. And then they get in cycles where they just can't get out of them um, or it's harder to get out of them. And then others just aren't, in my opinion, aren't good at building teams or they, they, they haven't figured out how to build a good team. And to me, I mean, you can't be successful without a good team. You're only going to be as good as the people you surround yourself with. And that was one of the things that um, a couple of my mentors expressed to me early on in my days um, as because I started my business right out of college. So I also didn't know what I didn't know kind of thing. And so, you know, I was, you know, I was the dumb kid that, you know, thought everything was easy and I could do whatever the hell I wanted and whatever. Um, but my, my mentors were the ones that, you know, made it clear, like you can't do it on your own. You have to do it with other people. That's interesting. Talk to me a little bit more about your team. And as you, I mean, it clearly you've, you've built a team around you that you trusted, you know, I would suspect you were close friends. You had been through a lot together. You've built this business. And as you approached your exit or your your personal decision to exit, talk to me about some of that. I'm assuming there was some emotional turmoil about, you know, leaving your team, making a change. Talk to me about the conceptions that you had going into the exit and your beliefs and understanding now about the team and, and sort of that journey you, you went through. 
Yeah, there's there's that's that's a lot of different questions or areas to go to, yeah. right? I mean, you open like Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so if I start with like, I think one of your early your starting ones was like about building the team. Was that right? Right. right. Yeah. So if I start with that, because to me that's the most important. And that's also an area where I screwed that up so many times. It's not even funny, right? I mean, picking, getting a, a system in place to pick the right people is key, but also knowing when those right people are no longer a fit and how do you, you know, change that. And that's hard, right? Um, one of the sources that I found hugely helpful for understanding team dynamics um, was an a organization called the Adizis Institute. Um, and they have a great book called uh, Corporate Life Cycles. And when you look at their information on corporate life cycles, he did all this research on, you know, the stages that every company goes through from infancy all the way through prime and to eventually bankruptcy and, and all the things that you need in those stages. And one of the key um, factors that he talked about in there is that when you go from one major stage to a next, often the team that got you from you know, one stage to the next is not the same team that can get you from the next stage, you know, to the next stage. Sure. And, you know, looking back on how we grew, that that was honestly probably true. And probably one of my biggest mistakes was taking too long sometimes to recognize that, you know, we needed a new team to kind of carry us forward. Because you're talking about getting a lot of personalities involved, especially like you said, I mean, I developed incredible friendships with these people. And I never, I always looked at my company as a family, right? And I treated my people like they were family, which makes having to let people go or move people around really hard. And what comes into play when you're, you know, if you've got to tell somebody that's been a leader for you for some period of time that now they have to take a step back, most people's egos cannot take that. And and that was, you know, one of the things too, or there's two, two factors that um, one of my biggest mentors had always, you know, impressed on me about um, leaders and or companies in general that that the the two things that lead to most people's failure is ego and greed and you go you know you got to figure out how to keep ego and greed in check and unfortunately ego is a harder animal to deal with than most people think and it's not even just from a leadership standpoint but even from an employee standpoint it's a pretty hard hit for them to go from like let's say where you're telling them like they're a vice president of your company when it's got five people so when you're trying to tell them you can't be a vice president now that we've got 20 people, right? Or whatever it might be, because the skill set is different and the ability to see what needs to get done is different. And, and people have a hard time um, kind of recognizing that and feeling like they're taking a step back and where once they had all this control of doing things, they now all of a sudden don't. And it it's just kind of a blow to the ego a lot of times, but it's also... I mean, I'd, I'd have a hard time with it. I mean, it's, I, I get it and stuff, um, but, but it is key or it's important that if you're going to grow and you're going to build the right systems and processes in place as a company grows, you need to have the people that can adapt and do those things. And, and, you know, while I would try and mentor them or get them training to get them to certain places, that wouldn't, that wouldn't necessarily be the differentiator for it. Um, so if that kind of makes sense, then then I think your next question was, well, so actually building the team still, the probably one of the biggest changes that we made that I, I would attribute to a big part of our success finally when we started to, um, you know, build the right teams 
there was two 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 factor probably a few factors but one of the initial factors is we started using a process called top grading um, mm-hmm. for our interview process it and i can't emphasize enough how much interviewing properly is important to building the right team and being willing to to wait it out till you get the right person the the Jeff, process Jeff with, smart right top grading yeah Jeff smart or no it's his dad's company um or his dad's book Jeff smart I think he, was, uh, he wrote who yeah he, Jeff smart wrote who and he's the son of the guy that wrote um top grading and a lot of the principles of who come from uh top grading so whether you want to use you know who, who or top grading or whatever I, I just think the process that those guys have created is phenomenal. Um, in the book, Top Grading, it's a very thick book, but like half of the book in the back is all templates for interview questions, which are all phenomenal interview questions. And we pretty much just use that entire process. Um, and because and one of the keys they, they, they talked about in there was that, you know, turnover is a big problem for a company. The cost, I believe they said the stat is the cost of, uh, turnover is seven times the employee's salary. So if you think about that, every time you lose an employee or you have to turn an employee over, it's seven times the cost of their salary because of all the stuff that goes on around having employees and stuff. And so, you know, one of the things in my industry, which is the cloud computing industry and tech support, you know, that that industry often has a lot of turnover, especially in the front lines and support. And so, you know, one of our key benefits, I think, that helped us become very successful was not having all that turnover. Um, and, you know, A, it creates consistency for the company, but B, it also means I'm not spending all this money constantly retraining and rehiring and, you know, and then exiting people, right? Um, so that so that process, I would say, was the key differentiator for us. Now, getting people to believe in that process and execute that process correctly and do it is is hard and, and or harder than you might think, just because um, oftentimes in companies, people just want to get butts and seats because they think that'll solve all their problems is just get more people. But more people can and the wrong people will actually cause you more problems than taking the time to get the right people, if that makes sense. Um, and, you know. So we our our big phrasing for us was always hire slow, fire fast, right? And and what what we mean by that is take your time to make sure you really get to know who you're going to hire um, before you bring them on. Um, and then fire fast is when you see that there's not the right fit, you got to move them fast because it it can be like a virus to a company to have the wrong people in in there, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so the top grading was a huge huge uh, turnaround point for us as a company. Um, and then some of the other things I would say from a team dynamic standpoint for managing a team that were really important was some stuff from the Arbinger Institute. The Arbinger Institute, I would say, was probably by far the most important training we brought into the company and um, trained the team on and, and also for our leadership. It just gives you a really good process for how to, how to think as a leader and how to be a leader. And just how to deal with people because everything about business is about people, right? It's the people on your team. It's the people at your clients. It's the people within your vendors, you know, your, all your networks. It's always about people. And so the Arbinger Institute's framework is really good about helping you make sure you understand, you know, more about how you're interacting with people, if that makes sure. sense. And so it helped there, us create a, a structure. Example on the Arbinger Institute framework that 
that you remember or yeah i mean there's there's all sorts of stuff that, yeah well the biggest principle with arbinger is about mindset and about your mindset towards people and how your mindset towards people is how you kind of get what it comes in return from people meaning if i if i think somebody's doing a great job then I'm going to tend to my, my mindset is going to tend to see them doing a great job more. Mm, and then thus my actions towards them will be more positive and thus they will receive that more positive feedback and continue to do more positive things. But if I see somebody as a more negative type person, like they're not doing things that I need them to do, my mindset is going to continue to find those things that reinforce that negativity which then makes me behave in a way that they pick, they pick up on that. And then when they pick up on that negativity, they end up doing certain things that might make that cycle worse. Right. And it's, it's kind of like, if you think back, like the, the, the kid that tries too hard to be friends with, with you or something, you know, how like they'll keep doing stuff to try and be even more friends, but all those things that they do just make it even worse for them sure. kind of thing. It, it's that same kind of thing. And, and so the principle is, that how I see others is how it impacts them to where they then do actions that help reinforce how I see them basically. And so, you know, one of the biggest learnings I had from that whole process is that, you know, where I might've thought some of my, my employees were the issue. The reality was it came back is that, you know, a big part of the issue was really probably me and my mindset towards them. And I needed to change that mindset kind of thing um and in order to make it work if that makes sense and then they've got all sorts of um tools that while they seem simple on top and they're very easy to implement they just they they're very complicated as to what the results are that come back from them if that mm. makes sense sure. um and, and i and also go ahead. i was gonna say like it's also a tough pill to swallow right it's, oh yeah an yeah, totally. yeah business leader this is my yeah. baby you know, I know everything. I know everything. Right. 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 I mean, and this goes back to the whole ego and greed thing. Right. I mean, the problem with entrepreneurs is, you know, our ego gets fed by our own press. Right. Like we create our own press releases that tell us how great we are. And then we start to believe our own press, which makes us start to feel like and think we are so great that, you know, our stuff doesn't stink. And then we start to act like that. And then we become, you know, asses sometimes. Right. And then it becomes like our downfall and stuff. And that, and that's where, again, I go back to Mario's whole thing about ego and greed. You got to keep your ego in check, you know? Um, you know, everybody, everybody has their own desires and wants and needs. And, you, you know, your job as the leader is to help make sure you understand what those wants and desires and needs are of, of the people that you're interacting with or that are around you. And how do you make sure that your goals align in a way that helps them achieve their goals, right? If, if you build a team and you're the only one achieving your goals, it's not a really good team at that point in time, you know? So, so, I, you know, and so going back to some of the questions, you know, I was very team oriented and, you know, I was just, I always tried to make sure I was aware of what other people's goals were. Even before I had Arbinger, I was kind of that way. Um, but but Arbinger kind of helped put a uh, process around it or a system around it to make it more effective, not just for me, but for the rest of the team as well. Um, and then I would say a third factor um, for, you know, what I, I would deem as our team success was the core values. Um, we were, 
very big on core values and very succinct about our core values. Um, we have a one page diagram that basically lays them out and the team actually created the core values. Um, I had core values from when I started the company, but it became, I became aware that nobody in the company knew them, but me. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and then, so then we created a process or we did a process um, Ann Rhodes was the woman um, that helped us her company. I think it's called people Inc. She's the chief culture officer over at Southwest airlines. And then she went on to kind of help start up JetBlue airlines. And so, you know, she, she was responsible for what Southwest is known for, which is their culture. Sure. And we worked with her and her process basically to, to basically um, develop a core set of values that fit the entire company. And then we, you know, spent the rest of our time living to those core values and we took them very seriously, but those core values um, made it very easy to kind of help people understand, like, are you doing what we need you to do or are you not? Right. And it also helped end up being a re great recruiting tool because if we were interviewing people and those core values didn't like resonate with them and make them kind of vibrate, then they weren't a good fit for us. Right. And so that, that was a, you know, a key factor for us in the team development side of things and then kind of managing the team kind of thing. Sure. Um, and then I could go on forever on other team things because that's pretty much what I focused on, um, you know, in my later years of running the company. Um, I felt my core purpose or, you know, part role within the company was really just managing the culture and making sure the team dynamics were there. Um, so then going to your next question, which was, I believe the second main big question was the exit. Like, how was that? And interacting with the team on that. And, and I would say that was definitely hard, right? I would say probably my hardest day ever running a company. And I've been through some major bad stuff with the company over the years, just major ups and downs, right? Like all businesses have. Um, but probably out of all of it, the hardest day I had was when I had to tell my management team. And then when I had to tell the entire company that we were selling. Right. Um, and how big was your team at that point, Don? Uh, we had, I think 25 full-time um, people and a bunch of part-timers and contractors and stuff outside of that. Um, but the, the, I, you know, again, like I said, I'd built relationships with all these guys and, one of the things is we practiced open book management, right? Which is where I went through all of our financials and everything with the company every month, every month we had a company meeting where we would discuss anything and everything. And if people had questions, it was very open. And, you know, and I just believe that they should always know everything that's on the table. Well, when we started the process of being acquired, I wasn't legally allowed to tell anybody what we were doing. And that was, that was, that just, because it was against our core values as far as I was concerned. And that was me not living up to what I felt I was supposed to be doing. Um, and so, you know, as soon as we got to the point where I was allowed to tell the management team, you know, we, I immediately told the management team and it was so hard because I wasn't sure how they were going to react to it, you know, and what their thoughts were going to be on it. Cause here we are building something together and then now I'm selling it, but you know, they, I believe at the end of the day, they understood why I was selling. And I mean, again, we got an offer I couldn't refuse. Um, and, you know, the, I would have to have more than doubled the company in a normal kind of valuation model to, to get to the same result. So it would have, and plus I just had other personal things with family, like my mom passed away and I just started having kids and stuff like that. It was, it was basically, it was time that I needed to sell. 
and, you know, get out. And I believe I did things in a way with the team that, you know, they felt good about how we went and did things. Um, but we would have to ask them obviously for that. Um, but then, yeah, then when I had to get the whole company together and kind of spread that news, I could see it on their faces when I initially said the news that it was going to be a rough one. Right. And because I mean, you know, their lives are changing, right? I mean, sure. a person's job is a big part of their their life. I mean, it's where they spend most of their hours. It's how they, you know, feed their family. Um, so having a change being told to you, you know, one day, uh, you know, that that's going to happen is not an easy thing to come to terms with sure. and stuff. But we did, I kind of, um, one of the things I did that I, I thought was a, gr you know, a great way to handle it, or it was fun for me at least. And I kind of actually wish I'd done this, um, throughout the years of running the company is there's a book called the dream manager. I don't know if you ever read it or not, but it's a great book. And, you know, we had visited, uh, Zappos at one point in time to kind of understand how they do things. And, um, Zappos has a actual person that's a dream manager for the, um, for the company. And, um, uh, what the, what the purpose is, is it's a, for you to get to know your employees better, but B, um, for your employees to also understand how to achieve their dreams. Right. Cause I mean, they're all helping me achieve my dream. So one of the things I did, um, over Thanksgiving before we were going into the sale before anybody knew about the sale is I, I told everybody, I thanked everybody for helping me achieve my dreams of, you know, building a successful business. And I, I asked them to share their dreams with me. Like, what is it that they wanted? Um, and, um, about half the company actually gave me responses back to that. And I was amazed at the responses. I'm like, God, I wish I'd known some of this stuff sooner about these guys. Right. Cause I mean, it was at the very minimum, it was just interesting. Right. And just to see some of the more common bonds that I might've had with some of them and, or just what motivated some of them. Um, and so when it came to the day of the sale um, and kind of letting them know, one of the things I had worked on from Thanksgiving until the time we sold is I went around trying to find ways to help them get their dreams basically. Um, awesome. And that was so much fun. I mean, like, so one of my favorites was, one of my guys is a drummer and he's a heavy metal, like thrash drummer, like phenomenal drummer. And um, so we found out like who his favorite drummer was. Well, then we came to find out that his favorite drummer was having a drum camp with like 60 people that you could pay to attend. And you would basically hang out with this drummer for a week drumming wow. and like jamming with him and stuff. So we got him tickets to go to that basically. So he would be able to go out and basically hang out with his famous, his favorite drummer um, and jam with him for a week. Right. And then um, the basic thing I had also put in that is that um, I had, I set up access to a financial um, advisor and consultant that would work with every single one of them um, on how to develop a financial plan to achieve your dreams. Cause at the end of the day, to achieve most of your dreams, you have to figure out a way to pay for them. Right. Um, and you know, if somebody's dream was that they wanted to be able to buy and own their own house, I wasn't going to go buy and help them own their own house, but I could help them figure out how to afford to do that and, mm -hmm. you know, what they would need to do to do that. So getting them that financial advice, um, I thought was a big key too, because, you know, that would help them enable, you know, enable their mentality towards how they could financially afford, a, you know, whatever their dreams might be kind of thing. 
Um, but yeah, so the company sold and then, you know, probably the hardest thing about after the company sold is (laughs) your level of relevance or importance drops like dramatically overnight to where getting phone calls back becomes very challenging and stuff. And that's a pretty big blow to your ego and stuff as well. But, but what's getting moving, feeding off that what's getting you excited these days? Uh, (laughs) trying to figure out what I want to do next, I guess. I mean, I, as you know, I've gotten very bored. I only sleep like four to six hours a night. So I'm constantly trying to find something else to get into. Um, lately, I've been looking at the ideas of developing a leadership institute, um, you know, getting a ranch. Basically, um, there's a ranch that we go to every year that we've been going to for the last six years called Red Horse Mountain Ranch. And um, trying to recreate something like that um, is, is a goal because I'm a, I'm a huge proponent on learning and knowledge um, and expanding people's comfort zones. And so I think if I could start and or build something that would kind of um, expand on that, I think would be really fun. But I definitely, I've got to figure out something to get my mind going. Cause I mean, I'm too young to, you know, sit, sit on my butt for the rest of my life and, and not do anything. And just, you know, I got to keep my mind engaged. Um, Cause I don't want it to go, you know, go to mush. <laughs> sure. Sure. That's great, Don. Hey, so give us a little bit of history of Don Britton, like where you grew up, sort of lifestyle, you know, the the who is Don Britton question. Who is Don Britton? Uh, <laughs> that one, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm still figuring that one out, I guess. Uh, I, don't know, I mean, growing up, like I started out, um, you know, I, I don't come from uh, a wealthy family by any sense. I mean, you know, we started out with like in a trailer park down here in Stafford, Virginia. Um, my family uh, is all in West Virginia, a small little town in West Virginia with about 2000 people in the mountains. Um, beautiful location, beautiful place. Um, but my mom, uh, the day after she graduated high school, um, moved out here to D.C. to work for the government. And then um, she had her whole career in the government. And, um, and you know, I would spend, you know, school years with her and then um, summers I would end up spending in West Virginia with my family out there until we moved overseas. Um, once we moved overseas, I grew up in Europe. I was in Europe for about 10 years, um, lived in England, Greece, and in Germany. Um, from, you know, basically fourth grade all through high school was overseas. And then um, I had started my first business when I was nine and did that all through high school. And then when I moved back what here to the States, I uh, the main one was a pet care business. Um, my mom, my mom had told me that I wasn't allowed to have pets, but she said I was more than welcome to take care of other people's pets. I think she would have been better off if she had let me have my own pet. But, uh, yeah, so I basically started a pet care business where I brought everybody's pets to my house and got paid for it, you know? Um, but I, you know, I was always just independent. I didn't want to have to rely on anybody for any, anything money-wise or whatever. And it, and I wanted pets. Um, so it was kind of fun in that regard. And then as I got into high school, our community there had a cable channel, um, with two, two, two channels in English and, um, in the community, but nobody knew how to hook up their TVs to it and stuff. So I started getting paid to basically go and hook up people's TVs, um, to the, to the stations. And even the station actually started marketing and advertising me, um, for it. And it was really easy, right? Cause this is just right when TV started having that auto-tune button too so i literally would sit there screw in some cables hit auto-tune and then chat with the you know the family for about (laughs) 10 minutes while it like tuned in the two channels you know and i'd get paid 20 bucks or whatever for it right and 
you know, I was always doing things like taking over all the bagging at the commissary. Like I'd get all those shifts at the bagging, um, the bagging shifts at the commissary and kind of dole those out with people and stuff like that. So it was just always very entrepreneurial. And that, and that was the thing when I moved back here to the States, right. I didn't know anything about being in the States, right. Like I had total culture, culture shock coming back here to the States. And I was like, well, I'll start a business. So I, you know, and I had long hair back then. I had hair about like halfway down my back and I go to a bank and I'm like, uh, yeah, I want to start a business. And so, and they're like, well, boy, you don't even have a, you don't even have an education. You know, we're not going to give you any money. And, and at that time, my ideas of businesses were still pretty, um, um, small for lack of a better way of putting it, but like restaurants or bar type atmosphere thing. Um, because I just hadn't been exposed to anything other than that. Right. And so I, I, I figured, well, why don't I go, I'll go get a college degree. And I figured I'd get a degree in accounting. Cause I, I figured every transaction in a business goes through accounting at some point. So I figured if I wanted to know everything about a business, that would be the best place to do it. So I got an accounting degree, which honestly was the most boring degree I could probably get, but probably in hindsight, the most probably important thing I ever did. Right. Um, because that has come back to help me, um, so much. I mean, for one, I always had a fallback. I could always get a job in accounting, um, by having that degree, but two, just understanding financials and profitability and just, you know, how things work in a company. It was, it was phenomenal background for that. Um, and then getting that accounting degree also, um, led me into where I got an internship with who became my biggest mentor, um, this guy named Mario Marino, um, who was considered like the godfather of IT in the DC area. Um, he had started a company called Legit back in the day. It was a software company before there was software. And in 94, I believe it was, he sold it. And it was the largest deal in history at that time um, for like $1.3 billion. Right. Wow. And that was where, you know, that exposure kind of started to show me that like, Hey, you can actually build those types of businesses, right? Because Mario is a lot like me. I mean, he grew up with nothing. Um, and, you know, he came from the same kind of roots I did, but in Ohio versus West Virginia, right? And he went on to build this massive company. And I just didn't realize people built those for some, you know, I don't know why I didn't make that connection, but somebody had to build it and it's people. So, you know, so that's when, I, and because it was tech business, you know, I love tech. Computers and tech was always a hobby of mine. <clears throat> And so being able to, you know, take, oh, shoot, I can take a hobby and turn that into a business. All right. You know, and so that's, you know, I started um, plugging away with stuff that I was, I was playing with the internet in the early days, you know, at college where we would get term papers from other students at other universities. So I knew you could keep files up on the internet and stuff. Right. But this is back when it was like text-based, right? Like if you wanted a picture off the internet, you'd have to download like four files, stitch them together. And then voila, you had a picture, right? right? Wasn't the most easy thing to use, but I knew you could stow files up there. Right. And so when I graduated college, um, I got my degree in accounting. Mario and those guys pushed me out and said, go get your wings in public accounting. And so I started working in a public accounting firm. And one of the things I started to realize was that as I was, they would have me because I was technical. They had me looking at the computer systems of all these small businesses and what happened is I started to see that, hey, all these state, small businesses have basically the exact same IT infrastructure, maybe just less than 10 or 5% of it was different from one another, but they all hated their IT and they, the customer service was non-existent, security was not there, 
um, reliability wasn't there. I mean, it was just, they, the systems just weren't very good. And, and, and so I started saying, well, what if I was to centralize all this on the internet and then just basically have them pay me a monthly fee to do that? Um, and then I could increase the reliability because I could increase the security and I could also increase the accessibility, right? They could then access their stuff from anywhere and stuff. And so thus that's what I started doing, which now is obviously called cloud computing. But back in that day, no, you know, a lot of people didn't even know what the internet was. So sure. my hardest part of my company back then was convincing people to let me put their files on this thing called the internet. And oh, by the way, you should have an email address so that you can communicate with people, right? That was that was the, the biggest challenge in the early days. And I got laughed at a ton, right? I mean, I, mean, no, I was going to ask no, you, how many, how many folks called you crazy, right? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, everybody. Great I mean, ideas and all this new technology. At some point in time, it was a crazy idea that some oh, people, yeah. that's never going to work. Yeah. Well, I mean, take my biggest mentor, Mario, right? I mean, you know, love him to death. But he cut my knees out from under me at one point, right? When, when like, I was looking for friends and family um, funds and stuff like that, you know, um, you know, I'd gone to Mario and he's like, I don't believe in your idea, but I believe in you. And I was like, mm. well, I'm glad you believe in me, but <laughs> talk about getting my knees cut out of me on my idea, right? Um, that, that was a hard blow for me to take. And again, I was young and dumb. Like, I didn't know what I didn't know. So all that did was make me more determined to prove him that my idea was good, you know? And, and, you know, and eventually, you know, once he, once I got the prototype done and we started to actually get some clients and stuff, Mario actually finally got to see the system actually working the way it was supposed to. And so, if, and, you know, immediately he was like, you know, he's like, that's my boy kind of thing. You know, he was proud of me, which that, that for me is probably my biggest, my, one of my proudest things with ever building the company is just the fact that I've, you know, Mario, um, you know, can, could, you know, be proud of me basically. Sure. So for lack of a better way of putting it, that was what stroked my ego is making, you know, Mario and other people that I had so much respect for be proud of me and, you know, respect yeah. what I'd been able to build and develop. Well, and, the, and the determination to, to prove yourself right. Right. This concept that he cut your knees out from underneath you. Yeah. You say, Hey, I'm going to, I'll show you. Right. That, that yeah. determination kind of drive yeah. you to the, the finish line sometimes. Well, and that's where that's where I'd go back to when we were talking about stuff for, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, like what makes a good entrepreneur or, or whatever. I mean, you've got to have a passion for what you're doing and you got to have grit and or perseverance. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. it's 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 the way I've always put it is it's it's not a sprint like entrepreneurship and running a business is not a sprint. It's like an Ironman 10 times over. Right? right. It's not an overnight success kind of thing. You know, we were in business 22 years to be overnight successes with the sale that we had. Right. I mean, and it wasn't an easy 22 years. Right. I remember 2007 was like my worst year ever. You know, it was like a country song. Right. My my <laughs> my dog almost died. Right. My mom got brain cancer. The woman I was living with broke up with me and I was within fourteen thousand dollars of going out of business. Right. All within a two month span in 2007. Right. Wow. And, the, you know, the thing is, like, it only made me stronger. Right. Because like once I got through that, it's like, hell, anything that hit me from that point forward was easy. Right. Like one of the things people always like tell me is that I'm so calm with things now. And I'm like, well, cause nothing could be as bad as what I went through in 2007. Right. So, 
it's easier to be calm now. Right. And then, you know, and then another time that was really hard way back in the beginning was, you know, we, we had run out of money at, and this is back in the really early days. And, um, I went for about seven months without any kind of income coming in. And so I had rented out my entire house to cover the mortgage. Um, and then I, you know, I ran out of savings five months in and then for the last two months, I couldn't even get a part-time job to like, you know, get me some cash. And so I was, I ended up eating instant carnation breakfast for like three meals a day for two months. Right. And, and it's become an ongoing joke now. Like Mario sends me boxes of carnation and breakfast from time to time and stuff. And, but like I would go to networking events because I could get free bagels, right. Just to eat. Right. And so, and, and while those times are hard and I was constantly like, okay, what do I have to do to file for bankruptcy and stuff like that? They also, looking back on them, were now like the best of times as well, right? Because they sure. were they were times that made me who I am, and kind of helped make sure the company got where it needed to be, you know. But you got to the way I always look at it is you got to take the good with the bad, right? You you, you nobody ever um, appreciates the good as much as they should unless they've had the bad to go with sure. it, right? Sure. And and that's kind of the way I've always looked at things. Well, Don, that's great, and I appreciate you sharing. Uh, both your personal family stories along with your business journey. Um, if anyone in our audience wanted to find you, is there a social media platform that you prefer? Are you a LinkedIn guy or a Facebook guy or is there? Uh, probably probably LinkedIn or Facebook. Yeah. Um, I actually have a website I'm building for myself yet, but I haven't launched it yet. It's one <laughs> of those things that like I've taken three years to, to build. It's there. I just need yeah. to actually launch it. Do you have the URL? So at some point in time when this is oh, pulled out of the DonBritton.com. DonBritton.com. Yeah, easy. <laughs> nice. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for your time today, Don. It's uh, I've enjoyed having you on the show. And if people are interested in, in finding out more information, they'll they'll chase you down or they could read Sounds read good. through the uh, the podcast notes. But um, we'll wrap this up and great, great having you on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought. Walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.